it's, uh, it's the 3rd of July, and in about two months from now, uh, the public schools will be open around the country. Little kids going in all excited and expecting, except for the seniors who know this is the last year, and in a few months they'll have to face that strange thing called reality, which nowadays is usually on television anyway. Uh, and all, all the, the teachers will be there hardly knowing what to expect. The veterans will have certain ideas and so on. But along, uh, all around the land, a great lamentation will go, will go up because the media, Newsweek and Time particularly, U.S. News and World Report, they will all be going on about the terrible state of our public schools. Every year it's predictable they have, they prepare it a year in advance, or they repeat, or they repeat, repeat. last year's lamentation goes all the way back to the 1940s when, when the war ended and, and people started coming back and going to school. I remember, and now I'm going to digress a bit. I read an essay a few years ago by Jonathan Swift on digression. You should all read it because in this country there's too much sticking to the point. And that's the difference between the Irish and the English. And this is another digression. The, the, <laughs> that an Englishman in love will say, darling, I love you. Will you marry me? Simple. The Irishman, however, says, Mary, how would you like to be buried with my people? <laughs> that's the difference. So I've... Uh, and that was one of the complaints I had from my students when I was teaching. I became, I became a devotee of digression. And, they'd say, and because a lot of the kids in, in the last school I taught at Stuyvesant High School, which was the jewel in the crown of New York City high schools, science and mathematics, and you know how that is. You have to stick to the subject. You stick to the procedure, the, the elegant solution. They, these kids used to ask me, Mr. McCord, that's, five minutes ago you were talking about something else. And I would say, well, I'm testing your attention, your attention span. <laughs> but the lamentation will go up all over, the, all over the country, and let's say the schools are in terrible shape, and scores are down. And this is because of that, that, that thing that came out, this monster that was created in Washington called No Child Left Behind. Uh, nobody consulted the teachers about this because it's the politicians who decide these things, only because they control the purse strings. I haven't met a single teacher from Maine to Hawaii who doesn't detest that act, No Child Left Behind, because its main purpose is take the life and the joy and the enthusiasm out of the classroom, because now teachers in the public schools, a lot of you, of course, go to private schools, you don't have to worry about this. Uh, a lot of the teachers now find they have to teach to the test, which is a strange activity. There's the test, and you have to teach to this. Is any wisdom uh, pursued along the way? No, you can't do that. Is there any enthusiasm? No, no, the test, the test. Multiple choice, multiple choice, well, A, B, C, D, or all of the above, or none of the above, or something. Fill in the blank spaces, matching columns, true or false, all of this has to be attended. It's not education at all. That's, and, and this, is what I, this is what I found out over the years. I'm glad I got out of the school system before they brought in No Child Left Behind, because I never paid any attention to the curriculum anyway. 
There, and I discovered, because it's not, till you, it's not till you leave teaching you begin to reflect on what you did. And I'm glad I've, I've been allowed to live long enough to become insanely rebellious over the things that happened to me in the past. But now that I'm in some possession of my wits and I'm in good health, I can do something about it, like talking to very influential people here who are eventually are going to go out into the world. But in my, in my teaching days, I found it difficult not to digress. I know there was a curriculum or a syllabus, or a course of study. We were given it every term, freshman year, first term, freshman year, second term, all the way up to the end of, of, of the uh, senior year. And it had stuff, there was stuff in it about you to deal with this section of grammar and this section of reading comprehension and so on. And I tried it, I was a young teacher. I, I didn't succeed, I didn't have, I suppose I didn't have the required passion for dangling participles that you're supposed to have as an English teacher. I couldn't motivate the kids, and that's another thing you're supposed to do in the classroom, motivate. Because it is assumed by the people in the various boards of education and city governments that the kids don't want to learn. They do, but what they want to learn cannot be touched in the classroom. I found over the years about high school students, they're either hungry or horny. And this is what they're interested in. And I stumbled on something in the later years of my teaching career. I was very slow. I just stumbled on something called food. And it was to, I was able to get them interested in various kinds of literature through food. But I'm digressing. <laughs> back, to, back to what I learned. In, in, uh, and this is a huge digression. This up in space digression. This is... A, uh, October the 4th, 1958, I think it was. October the 4th being the feast day of my favorite saint, Francis of Assisi. That requires another digression, but I'm going to come back to where I was. So uh, October 4th that year, there was a strange sound heard in space. This beep, beep, beep. And they're down in Washington and Houston and Cape Canaveral. And said, what the hell is this? And so, Jesus it's a little Russian golden ball going around the space. It's called Sputnik. Beep, beep. The beep was in Russian. But, but they <laughs> beep, and it's going, it's going through space, and there was hell to pay in Washington. Why, how do these goddamn Russians have a little golden ball in space before we do? And somebody says, so who, who lost his job? Well, their German scientists are better than our German scientists. So that, that. <laughs> That was, yeah. we, we had a guy down there, but he, he was too slow, and, but he was highly rewarded. He was an ex-Nazi and so on. But their little golden beep is up there. So because of that golden beep, there's hell to pay in Washington, the Department of Education, and, and Eisenhower's in office. And he, he, he gave up a whole afternoon of golf to come back and listen to the beep, beep, beep. And, and, and everybody said, what are, we going to, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And of course... Some, some scapegoat, somebody had to be blamed, there had to be a scapegoat. And of course, when in doubt, and you're looking for a scapegoat, the schools, the teachers particularly, the teachers, this was said, you go back and look at the newspapers, the teachers are not doing their job. Our schools are falling apart, and then a big report had come out 
under the Eisenhower era about the terrible state of our public schools and so on. A nation at risk, it was called. And oh, everybody, they're all scratching their heads. And, and it, it became a big political thing. You see, when they don't know what to do in Washington, they start talking about schools and blaming things. There was hell to pay in, in Washington, and uh, uh, they, they blamed the schools. But so what are we going to do? So suddenly, I, teach, I just started teaching in high school, and there was a memo came around, and it said, do you need anything? I used to have to beg for a stick of chalk, but now the government decided, well, maybe we ought to give them supplies in the schools. Maybe we ought to encourage everybody. Maybe we ought to reduce class sizes, etc. Not raise teachers' salaries. Not never, never, never. never. Give them more composition paper. Give them more chalkboard erasers and so on. So we started getting all this stuff. And then, then, uh, then they said there were funds available if we wanted to take kids on field trips. Field trips. I was teaching in Staten Island in New York, and they said, oh, do you, would you like to take the kids anywhere? Because they're, all, they're always complaining, my student. All these other schools are going here and going there. Can't, why, can't we go, why can't we go somewhere? So I took them in, into Manhattan. I went to, we took them to a few movies and things like that. Uh, <laughs> we took, we, we, I took them one time to a movie called Cold Turkey, which the kids thought was, thought was about withdrawal from drug addiction. We have cigarettes, and they were—they all—they—they—they they, they cursed me for bringing them to a movie about uh, withdrawal from cigarette addiction. So uh, I started—I started getting uh, supplies. I hardly knew what to do, what to do with all the composition paper. I had so much chalk I was writing on the walls. In addition to the, <laughs> I was writing everywhere. And then, and then of course, of course that dried up. And then uh, down the years, I would hear, I would follow presidential elections, and one candidate after another would announce that he was, wanted to be the education president, and, and all the teachers yawned, yeah, here we go on, another education president. And then uh, over the years, I think my, my anger grew over the, over my anger, never mind the media, my anger grew over the state of education. What goes on in the classroom is something almost as private in this country as what goes on in the bedroom. Although there's more of that right, right now revealed to the public, bedroom antics. Uh, what goes on in the classroom is still a, a, a secret because most people don't understand or they think, that, they think that all you do is you get up in front of a class and talk. English teacher talks about Shakespeare, uh, math teacher talks about algebra and calculus and so on, and you, and you lecture the way they do in the movies. That's another story, the movies, how the movies deal with, with, with education. Or like that, that professor a few years ago did a, a, did a thing called Paper Chase about law school at Harvard, I think. So you do, you get up there, you, 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 you lecture most wittily and, and, and learnedly. It's not like that at all. The average class in New York City, and I taught in four different high schools, ranging from vocational to the jewel in the crown, Stuyvesant High School, where they sit and listen to you. That astonished me when I got to that school, <laughs> how, how they actually sat and listened. Because when I started at McKee or Sewer Park or the other fashion industries high school, most of the time, the bell rings. It, it rings all the time. The bell rings, and the kids come swarming into the classroom. This is a 45-minute class. The average public high school teacher spends maybe the first 15 
or 20 minutes in what they call housekeeping. Sit down. Mr. McCourt, what? He stole my pen. Give him his pen back. I didn't steal his pen. Mr. McCourt, he stole my lunch. Give him his lunch back. I didn't steal it. And there's a big fight. There's a big fist fight. And in the beginning, you want to go down and separate them. But you're told by a veteran teacher, stay away. <laughs> back off. Send for the principal. It's years before the principal will come. And by then, blood has been drawn. And there's a victor, so uh, you take the other one up, up, to, up, up to the nurse. Well, you learn all these little things. And I used to think you'd get in there and, and you'd start teaching. No, you don't start teaching. You separate fight. Uh, you, you answer requests for the past. They're hardly in their seats five minutes. You've got to have the PS. What do you want the pass for? I want to go to the bathroom. Go later. I gotta go, I gotta go. And I knew, you, this is the thing, the pass is a kind of a, a weapon. I knew where they were going. Jonathan, who's in, we're on the second floor, he wants to go up to the fifth floor because his girlfriend's up there in the biology class, and I know what he's gonna do. He's gonna go up there and peer in the window because he's madly in love with Susan or whatever her name is, and they gawk at each other to teach the biology teachers, get, get out of here. And he comes back, now he's satisfied. He hands me back the pass and he's satisfied. He's done now, he promised her earlier during the break between class, I'll be up, I'll see you if McCork gives me the pass. So you, you know all of this is going on. You know all of this stuff is going on. There's something called the subject matter. English. Oh, uh, we should get around to that sometime. English. We're supposed to teach maybe some section of American literature or English literature or grammar or spelling or reading comprehension, the usual, or how to, how to uh, study the parts of a sentence. Oh, you're supposed to do all of that, but the kids are geniuses. This is what people forget about them. They've been in school for 9, 10, 11, 12 years, and they are masters of teacher psychology. They can tell by the way you walk into the room what you're like. There's a way of, it's like the, every teacher has a desk. Some teachers hide behind the desk so, uh, and, or lean on the desk or sit behind the desk. That's not good. That shows you're fearful. You have to stand up, come out from behind the desk and go full frontal. Uh, <laughs> let, them, let, the, let them see you. So, and they can tell about your demeanor, your posture, the tone of your voice what kind of person or what kind of teacher you're going to be. And they decide then, should they let you live or will they kill you? Uh, <laughs> so all of, this, uh, all of this was going on in the classroom. And in the meantime, I'm, I'm surviving in these various schools. And maybe after 15 years of my 30 years in the classroom, I'm beginning to develop what they call a style of my own, everybody does it. All people in the media have to develop their own style, politicians do it. And I, I didn't really realize that. I thought I'd imitate other teachers, you can't, because you're false to yourself. So I figured out my, uh, my own way of dealing with, um, with the classes. Well, what, there was digression, I admit there was digression. But the other valuable part of it was the story. They wanted to know about me. Because they, they're very smart kids. They detected I had an accent of some kind. And they, want, they wanted to know what it was. And I told them it was Irish. And, and what, they're doing, they're, what they're doing is getting me away from the subject. Because I'm, I'm about to launch into this 
brilliant pejoration on, on the indirect object. And they want to get me, <laughs> they want to get me away from that. So they ask me questions about my life, about Ireland, and so on. And I know what they're doing, and I, but I don't mind. Because I don't mind telling little stories about Ireland. And th this is how I survived all the years uh, it, in, in the four different high schools, talking about my past. I didn't want to talk about my past. My past was sordid and miserable, the miserable Irish Catholic childhood. And I, th I, I thought it was worthless, but they seemed to be interested somewhat. They were somewhat interested. So I told my stories. And uh, I, I left, then uh, towards the end of my teaching career, uh, they told me that I should go and write a book. And I do what I'm told, so I wrote a book. Thank you.